they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Where does the creator of the universe send his son? Where does the Prince of Peace make his entrance? A barn, a stable, a, a manger of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this was no ordinary king. The Savior is born in a stable. So there are animals and uh, animal stuff, manure, mud, a pitiful place for a human, much less the King of Kings. So why? Why would he do that? Because the shepherd was coming to care for his sheep, to make a way for his sheep. And, and that's what shepherds do. They live where the sheep are, they eat where they eat, and they sleep where they sleep. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You ever thought about that sign? Sign for what? Maybe it is a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. Maybe it's a sign that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person. That God will have nothing to do with the social status of mankind. Either way, it's a sign for all of us to go and do likewise. You see, later, Paul would write these words, that you should have the same attitude as Jesus Christ, who being in the nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He made himself nothing, becoming a servant, coming in human likeness. The creator who had been served since before the dawn of time stepped out of heaven to become a servant. Who does that? The God who's laid in a manger a messy feeding trough. Yeah. Why such a messy place? Because he came to save messy people. So, that first Christmas was dirty, grimy, filthy. <laughs> it was messy. But thank God it was. Because without it, what a mess we'd be in. Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2 and 6. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, the son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. We gather today as citizens of a broken world, darkness and despair always creeping close by. The uncertainties of today mirror those of yesterday. Provision, oppression, place and identity. We come desperate for hope that is real and we find hope in the most unexpected way, in the most unexpected form, a baby born of virgin. We rejoice with certainty today in response to God's faithfulness of his kept promise of the Messiah. Romans 15, 12 and 13. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. recognize this song but this is a, a Christmas song that we've been singing in this church for for quite a few years now but I I love how this points out and it kind of echoes what the video this morning said um, about how he came to his flock and they were dirty and they were messy 
and had a whole host of problems, right? But he came. And so let us in turn rejoice and worship him this morning. For the unclean, the unholy, for the broken, the unworthy, you came. Jesus, you
desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the
Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we gather today, a few things around us that look different and that they might imply that we're, we're changing seasons and, and in a sense on the calendar we are. But Father, I would rather us just continue in the spirit that you have been guiding us in in recent days. We've been talking about what it means to be blessed. And last Sunday, Lord, we dove into this idea of being thankful and what it really means. And inside of Thanksgiving, we find grace. So Lord, it just makes sense. We just continue in that theme as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the gift that provided that grace to us. It's not a new season, Lord. Rather, we ask you to give us a revelation of a continuing season, of your continuing presence, your continuing work in our lives. The ups and downs we face, the, the uncertainties, Lord, that are real. It's those moments that maybe unsettle us. But God, it's also those moments that give you opportunity to show us who you really are. Lord, there's a great, sweet spirit in this place today. Your people have gathered with expectation, perhaps even with longing. We tend to look forward to this time of year. But God, God, I ask that you'll protect us from ourselves in these next few weeks, from the busyness, from, uh, from overscheduling, from trying to fit too much into our lives that we, we get distracted and we miss what's really important. I pray that you'd help us, God, in these days, beginning now in this moment, to recognize, Lord, there's so much that you have for us that we often miss out on. May we find hope today in the unexpected. We thank you, God, for this opportunity we've had this week to give thanks. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness in the lives of our faith family. We thank you for being with Mary, Lord, for being with Jill today, and for being with baby James. And We see your hand at work in so many ways. We lift up those even this morning who might find themselves struggling, whether it be a physical illness or maybe discouragement, loneliness. May they know that they've come to the right place place where they belong, a place, Lord, where we're accepted, a place, God, where we can find again hope for the hopeless. I pray that you would just be with Pastor Josh, Lord, be, just ask a special anointing upon him this morning as he shares your word. Teach us something new. Reveal a little bit more of yourself to us today. And God, I pray that we would leave this place changed for having been in your presence. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. As we were reminded this morning, it's messy out here. And we are messed up people. But we thank you, God, for sending your son into the midst of our mess. Even in those moments, God, might we see you and find you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
it's, uh, it's rather obvious from the decorations around and the songs that we sang this morning and the, the candles, but it's finally here. Advent is here. The Christmas season is here, and I don't know about you all, but this is my favorite time of the year. Seriously, I absolutely love it. We decorated uh, at our house last week. We got the tree. We got it all set up. Uh, love it. I've been listening to Christmas music for since before Halloween. I'm one of those crazies, uh, but I've been doing, been doing that. Uh, we took the kids to see Santa Claus yesterday, so uh, this is just, this is, I love this. The songs that we sing, uh, I was thinking as we were just singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, I know that there are some silly Christmas songs out there, right? There's some there's some really silly ones, but there are some theologically rich Christmas songs. Uh, Charles Wesley did some good work with some Christmas songs, but, but I love it. I love the season. I love the music. I love the decorations. I love the spirit of it. I love the movies. I even occasionally will watch a Hallmark Christmas movie with Chelsea, and like, if that doesn't get me Husband of the Year Award, I don't know what will. But it almost feels like for a few weeks, I'm living in a fairy tale. Someone even commented on a, a picture of, of our family. I think it was last year, a Christmas picture that we posted. Someone even commented that it looked like a perfect snow globe. Now that's fairy tale living, am I right? When we can be a perfect snow globe family. The problem with fairy tale, though, sometimes it comes crashing down to reality. The fairy tale picture that gets posted onto social media ignores the background of the fighting to get everyone situated just right and smiling at the same time. It ignores the deleting of the 137 other pictures where one of the kids was crying because the other one was bothering him. The fairy tale stops when the reality of the too tight budget during this season smacks you in the face and the gifts that you want so badly to give are just not possible. The fairy tale comes skidding to a halt when missing loved ones and an enormous amount of grief becomes reality. And all of a sudden, the holiday that you once loved so much, the fairy tale snow globe Christmas is just too much to bear. And quite frankly, you dread it now. See, Christmas can sometimes be a fairy tale for just a few weeks, but the truth is, we live in reality. We don't live in a snow globe. There's a point in Scripture where Peter is reminding those whom he has led of the reality that we live in. Peter is nearing the end of his life. And in previous years, he had written uh, his first letter that served as kind of an encouragement to a people who were under immense amounts of persecution. And now later in Peter's life, as his, as his life nears the end, he's writing for a different reason. In this scenario, Peter is writing to warn his people to stand firm against a series of false teachings and false prophets. And so 2 Peter, his second letter, very much becomes this kind of 
defense of Christianity. It becomes this rebuke of some false teachings. It's an opportunity for Peter to remind his people that they are not living in a fairy tale. That they are not living in a snow globe. That they have not devoted their life to some made-up story that was created in order to make them feel better. Peter's reminding them that their identity, their story in Christ is a deep-seated reality. It's not fairy tale. It's reality. And in this reality that Peter is telling them about and reminding them about, they can stand firm against false teaching and false prophets. Now I admit, before we go into reading this passage, I admit that this is likely an unexpected passage for our first week of Advent. But our Advent series this year is an unexpected Christmas. So I thought I would start with an unexpected passage of Scripture. And truthfully, as I read this, and I think as, I, as we work through this, I think you'll see too, but this sets us up really well to talk about the theme of this first week of Advent, the theme that you've already heard talked about and sung about, hope. So in our particular passage this morning, Peter is addressing a very specific critique of Christianity. The critique was that Jesus is not actually coming back like he said he was. That Jesus was not who he said he was because the talk of the last days, the talk of the second coming, the return of Christ was just not happening. See, it had, it had been at least a few decades, depending on what date of writing for Second Peter you go with, but it had been at least a few decades since Jesus had gone to heaven. And at this point, there was no sign of him returning like he had promised. And this was leading to scoffers and mockers to question the reality of this whole Christianity thing. So this morning, we're going to read from 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Peter writes, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago God's word, the heavens, long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth's waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? 
You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It's not exactly the Advent passage that you expected to hear this morning. But follow with me here as I think this points us to a great hope. In this passage, there's very much this elephant in the room that Peter is addressing to his followers. Jesus made it sound certain that he would return very soon, and he hadn't. And it had caused people, believers and unbelievers alike, to question the authenticity of his claims. And it's no stretch to acknowledge the current elephant in the room. The followers of Peter had waited for somewhere between 30 and 70 years for Christ's imminent return. We've been waiting for nearly 2,000 years at this point. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you've likely heard it at least alluded to that we are nearing the end, the time when Christ will return But here we are. I think we can easily find some connections here from this passage. But the reality is is that this wasn't the first time that a group of people had been stuck waiting on the arrival of the Christ, the Messiah. And so this morning, I want to make some connections to the first advent, the time of waiting for the first appearance of the Messiah. And this time of waiting that the readers of Peter's letter find themselves in. And as we do that, I want to see what sort of encouragement can we find for us during our Advent season in 2022. The time of waiting for the arrival of the Messiah was a long, drawn-out period. A time of wondering when this Savior would come and restore the people of Israel. Through a very tumultuous history, the people of Israel were having a very difficult time believing that they were the blessed nation, that they were so favored by God. See, they had been enslaved. They had been freed only to wander in the wilderness. They had arrived at this promised land only to be scared away by big, scary giants in the land. And so they wandered again. And they wondered where would their next meal come from to see God provide manna. And then they finally entered into the land. They had conquered and they had been conquered. And they found themselves wondering when this would happen, when this Messiah would come. They found themselves in a period of exile for 70 years. They finally made their way out of captivity and exile, but were still under the oppressive Roman government. This is hardly the picture-perfect fairy tale life that one would expect for God's chosen people. And then, rumors started. Rumors that went beyond simple whispers of gossip. Rumors that pointed to the tiniest glimpse of hope. 
words like these words from the prophet Isaiah started to emerge. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and in peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And for once, there was a great hope. A great anticipation for something greater ahead. A warrior king who would finally conquer the enemies of the Israelites and return them to greatness. And they waited. And they waited. And then they waited some more. And this waiting reached its pinnacle with a 400 year period of silence. No more words from God. No reminders of how God was at work in their lives. No God winks, as we like to say. Silence. Kristen Lavallee puts it this way, this way. Every Israelite child grew up hoping that they would live to see the Messiah come. They looked, they watched, they waited, and they hoped. Generations passed away before there was even a whisper of a Messiah in the air. But still, they told the stories. They read the prophecies and they hoped. HaMashiach would come as God had said. Our hope is coming. Emmanuel will be born. He is coming. He will save us. But when? He will save us, but when? Because our circumstances seem to say otherwise. So the people waited. Until the waiting was over. The waiting culminated in the arrival of the Messiah. But it wasn't the Messiah that they had expected. Not a warrior king but a humble baby, born amongst the animals to poor teenage parents. The Messiah, 
would reveal his power and his dominion by doing the opposite, by laying it all aside, even by giving up his life without so much as a fight. The Messiah, the one hoped for, had come. But the same way that the very hope that they had was unexpected, the culmination of their hope was not what they had expected. See, God's way of working was misunderstood. It wasn't the way that the people thought it would be, and it certainly wasn't on the timeline that they wanted or expected. But God worked in his creative ways and fulfilled his promise. And that promise led us to another promise, that he would be back, that he would return, and with his return would finally make all things right, that all would be restored. And it was in that waiting that the early church found themselves. And as the years dragged on, the questions started to be raised. Was he serious? Was he really the Messiah? Can God be trusted at all? Is this thing that we've devoted our lives to even real? And the outsiders used it as a means of mocking and scoffing and proving the invalidity of this particular religion. And so Peter uses this opportunity to encourage, to remind them of the nature of this hope and what they're waiting for. To remind them of the reality of the way God works. That in reality, God doesn't adhere to our timelines. That God works in creative ways that we don't often see, but that ultimately God keeps his promise. That our hope is not motivated by our circumstances, but our hope is motivated by God's past faithfulness. That he will indeed one day return. And when he returns, what we have to look forward to is better than we could ever imagine. A new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells, as Peter writes. I love the way the NRSV translation puts this very last statement. In the NRSV, he describes this future place as a place where righteousness is at home. And then Peter gives instructions on how to live given this future hope. To live in accordance with that righteousness. So that when in the future all things are made new, they will be made right at home, right here. Because God's people has been working to bring that about. And Again, this is one of those times where it's really easy to connect with the people in a particular passage of Scripture. Because we're right there too. This promised second coming has still not happened. And so, we find ourselves in the midst of this second advent. Where we anxiously await that which Christ had promised. Waiting for what John writes in Revelation 21. When he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And we are painfully aware that we aren't there yet. That this reality that John paints is not the reality that we live in. So we wait. We wait. And we wait. And at times the world grows weary. And at times the questions start to raise about the reality of it all. The scoffers and the mockers emerge. It is, after all, a hope that defies reason and invites criticism. But the words of encouragement from Peter remain. To live in hopeful anticipation. To wait with hope without the human constraints we want to put on the promise of God. We wait, but we have hope. We have hope. Not with optimism per se, but with hope. Because optimism would be to ignore or to be naive of reality. The truth is, is our circumstances in this world do not lend themselves to a bright future at times. One news cycle viewing or one quick scroll through social media will confirm that. Another mass shooting. Tensions boiling over in a fight to acknowledge the humanness and dignity of women in Iran. A seemingly never-ending war in Ukraine. Some very loud anti-Semitic voices. Another cancer diagnosis. Another holiday with a loved one in a hospital or a nursing home. A young teenager being sent home from cancer treatment to celebrate Thanksgiving because the chances of her celebrating Christmas are very small. And the list goes on and on. And to live in a constant state of optimism would be to ignore the reality of our circumstances. But hope, hope on the other hand, is not reliant on our circumstances. The thrill of hope is that it acknowledges that even in the midst of our sometimes crushing circumstances, God will fulfill his promises. Because God has always been faithful. It's to say that even though I see no light at the end of this tunnel, I hold on to hope that God is working and God will come through. 
It's to hear the words of revelation in the context of a very real world that doesn't look like that and cling to the hope that Christ is coming to make that a reality. But here's the thing. This hope also requires us to submit to the creative and redemptive work of God. And what we learn from the first advent and arrival of Jesus and what Peter reminds us of is that God's creative and redemptive work is not on our timeline. And he doesn't use our desired methods to bring it about. To have hope is to not only cling to the promise of God, but it is also to submit to God doing it his way in his time. And so we wait. But we wait with hope. How do we do that? How do we practically do that? What I've found in my life is that I am able to cling to that hope more tightly when I am actively working to bring about that which was promised. I love how poet Jared Anderson describes this. He says, We seldom admit the seductiveness of hopelessness. It saves us from ambiguity. It has an answer for every question. There's just no point. Hope, on the other hand, is messy. If it all might work out, then we have things to do. So how do we wait with hope for the new heaven and the new earth that Peter talked about and that John described? That new heaven and new earth where chains of injustice are broken, where tears are wiped away, where peace reigns, where the thirsty have water and the hungry have food and brokenness is restored. How do we do that? We cling to that hope by working to bring about those things here and now. To take seriously the prayer that Jesus taught. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To find opportunities to be with the brokenhearted, to feed the hungry, to fight injustice. This is what it looks like to live with hope in this time in between, where we await the second coming of Christ to make all things right. I want to leave you this morning with a story that I think perfectly portrays this kind of unexpected hope. In 1999, Julius Jones was charged with the murder of Paul Howe. Jones was 19. In 2002, Jones was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. For 19 years, the family of Julius fought to have this overturned. There have been conflicting reports of evidence that would deem Julius innocent. After years of fighting and even having the support and recommendation of the parole board to have the death penalty sentence commuted, nothing was happening. Julius was scheduled to be executed one year ago, Thursday, November 18th, 2021, at 4 p.m. Now, at the last hour, after an immense amount of pressure and public outcry, the governor of Oklahoma finally granted the commutation of the execution. Julius's life was spared. Shortly after the announcement was made, it was discovered that Julius's mom, Mama Jones, as Julius's supporters had come to know her, had at the beginning of that week scheduled a visit with Julius for Saturday, 
November 20th. And on that Saturday, a year ago last Sunday, Mama Jones hugged her son Julius for the first time in 20 years. All because she hoped. The circumstances said that there was no reason for optimism. There was no realistic indication that Julius's fate would actually change, yet Mama Jones hoped. And what I love about the story is that she didn't just sit by and wait. While she waited, while she hoped, she actively worked to bring about that which she hoped for. She, wait, she worked to make her visit on Saturday, a few days after he was scheduled to be executed, reality. She rallied supporters around her. Literally, people from around the world came out in support of Julius and Mama Jones. That is hope. Not optimism. Hope. What are you hoping for today? It's my prayer that you would be reminded of God's past faithfulness. Perhaps, and I know that this is a reality, perhaps you are in a time where your circumstances are blinding you from seeing God's past faithfulness. It is my prayer that you would be surrounded by people who can testify to God's faithfulness for you. It's also my prayer that we would be submitted to God's creative and redemptive work. That not only would our hope be unexpected, but that we would see that sometimes the solution to our hope is unexpected. What are you hoping for this morning? Do you stand and pray with me? God, we are so grateful um, for your faithfulness. God, the reality is, is that we don't live in a snow globe. We don't live in a fairy tale. As we've talked about several times today, we live in a messy world. A world where the reality that John saw in Revelation 21 is just not here yet. God, it's easy to be blinded by our circumstances, to allow our circumstances to uh, get in the way of seeing hope. God, I pray that... Um, God, I pray for those in here who are struggling to see your faithfulness, that we as a community would testify to your faithfulness for them. God, as we wait, as we wait for the reality of a new heaven and a new earth where all things are made new, I pray that you would compel us to actively wait, to wait in a way that compels us to work toward that which we hope for. To go ahead and get started on the work that has to be done here. So that when all is made new, that righteousness would be right at home. As we go through these weeks leading up to the Christmas holiday, the reality is, is that it can be a difficult time for people. But I pray that something in their life would give them a glimpse of your hope. Not that our circumstances necessarily change, but that we hope in your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you receive this benediction? 
as we celebrate Advent over these next four weeks, as we look forward to the celebration of the first arrival of Christ, but as we sit in this place of waiting for the return, for the restoration of all things, may we be a people of hope, a people deeply anchored in the promises of God, a people who submit to the creative and redemptive ways of God, and a people who actively participate in bringing about that which we hope for. God bless you. You're dismissed. Mm-hmm.